All right, the challenge of the decade. It's five minutes till 12. And we will be done by 2 p.m. How many said amen? All right. Um, I'm gonna put up uh, two icons on this uh, board today that I think we can all relate to. And one of them is a clock that is almost at midnight, and the other one is a dollar sign. And those are the two driving forces in our world today, aren't they? Time and money. Those are the two things that most people will say, I don't have enough of, right? And if you ask people, how are you doing? They go, well, I am just so busy. I'm busier than I've ever been. You, you almost get tired of hearing it, don't you? I mean, you, I'm gonna give you a counterculture response when people say that. Boy, not me. I have got so much extra time on my hand. I, I don't even know what to do. And then when people say, yeah, I just need to make some more money. And he, boy, not me. I have so much money. I'm just trying to figure out what to do with it all, you know? And because we live in this culture that is dominated by those two things. And what it will do to you, it will, it will absolutely control every part of your life. Because you're, you always have an excuse, right? I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. Think about the demands that we have on our life. Think about Black Friday, go out and buy something. So my wife is like a Hallmark junkie, and we were missing a control for the television, and it wouldn't work without it. I said, no problem. I'll just run down to Best Buy, pick up, you know, a universal controller. I forgot it was Black Friday. I pulled up in front of it. There's not a parking place. Or it just looks like chaos. I don't even know what's going on. And I just kept driving. I called her. I said, you ain't watching Hallmark tonight because I am not stopping for that. And then I got Cyber Monday. And everything is making a demand. We make a demand on you. We do, right? We say, hey, give us your time and give us your money. And I want you to know that I really believe when you're spiritually an adult in Christ, you take the demands that are in your life all around you, family, church, God, organizations, everything. You take all of those before the Lord and you say, God, would you give me discernment in how I can best be strategic in what you've given me? Because guilt doesn't work. What works is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God has always moved me to do more than anybody who's trying to make guilt me into it, amen? And then I feel good about it. So um, I learned on Friday night that um, Bob Harrison would not be here today. Uh, he was going to be our guest speaker, and so I learned on Friday night. So I said, okay, it's time to put a message together. So I call this the Friday night special. I was warned not to tell you about this because then you would think it was just a, you know, not a great sermon, but it may not be. But it's what you getting today. <laughs> you ever had that at the dinner table? You look at your mom, you go, what is that? She said, shut up and eat it. Have we heard that? Hey, that happened every night at my house, my mom. I said, what is that? I don't even know what it is. My wife, my mom made all kinds of crazy food. She, anything that was left over got in a pot, and, uh, and things just happened. So today, you're gonna get everything that's in the pot coming out at you, amen? So we don't have enough time, we don't have enough money. Say time, say money. All right, so there's a story about a man by the name of Joshua. Joshua chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, you wanna follow along. And Joshua is engaged in a battle against the enemy of God, the Amorites. And what happens is there come some people to him and says, would you please spare us? And they were actually from Gibeon. And the Gibeonites came and said, would you spare us because uh, we're afraid of the enemy. But the Gibeonites were really the enemies of God. What they did was they put on old clothes, they brought moldy bread, and they said, we've traveled a long way, protect us. And so Joshua made a covenant 
with them to protect them. Little did he know they were the enemy. So he went out to protect them from the Amorites and was successful in that. Then he learned the truth that they were indeed uh, the enemies of God. And so he said, I'm going to honor my oath to you. I'm going to honor and protect you. But you will be the servants of Israel. You'll be those who, who gather the wood and gather the water. And that was going to be their fate for the deception that they had. And in the middle of this battle, Joshua realizes he can't finish the battle because there's not enough daylight. So he prays, he says, God, would you make the, make the sun stop? In other words, would you give me a longer day? And we could go into scientific and is that true and how does that happen? But I, I just like to take the Bible as what it says and somehow God worked a miracle to give them a longer day, to extend the day and to finish the battle, amen? All right, so let's go to this. I want you to understand the nature of the battle that you're in. You may not know it, but you are in a battle. And that battle is vying for your attention, for your emotions, for your money, for your destiny, for everything that you have about you, you're in a battle. And some of you will win a battle and some of you will lose a battle today. Some of you will win a battle for your life. Some of you will lose the battle for your life. As I was uh, uh, thinking about this message and I was trying to think, God, what do you want me to speak? And this, this phrase came to me, prophetic destiny, prophetic steps, prophetic connections. And I, it just kind of hit me and I thought, our life is a series of prophetic connections. Whether you realize it or not, the dots that are being connected in your life have the hand of God behind them. Sometimes you look at the things that don't look as pleasant and you think those are not of God or, or they're of the enemy or of your bad decisions, and sometimes you're right. But do you realize that if God is sovereign, if God is all-powerful, if God is in control, that he directs the paths of his children? That you might make all the plans you want, but God says, but I'm going to ultimately direct your path. I'm going to put you down a road that you may not think makes sense, but when you look back on your destiny, on your life, you're going to realize my hand was touching everything that you were doing, and I was bringing you to a place of understanding. Then I walked by, uh, uh, Tammy was reading a book, and I thought the name of the book was A Legacy of Grace. It was some other title, but my title's much better. And I thought about that concept, a legacy of grace. You know, that's what we do as believers. We have this grace that's a part of our life. It's part of our culture. And we're leaving a legacy to our children, to our children's children for grace. Now, if you, if you ask uh, someone and say, what would you like to be known for? Very few people would say, I'd like to be known that I had a lot of money, I had a great job, I had a great house, I had a great car. If that's really where you are, that's really not too deep, Right? But most people would say, I'd like to be known because I love mankind, I made a difference, I, I cared for my family, I, I extended grace to people. Those are the kind of things that we want to be known for, amen? And those are the kind of things you have to, you have to work on every single day of your life because you'll spin out of control. You see, we're only one generation from being out of this picture of God's grace in our own life. If we don't teach our children's children's children and they keep going and the generations go on, what kind of legacy do we leave? 
So we have to be very intentional. We can't leave it to somebody else. You can't leave it to the church alone. You can't leave it to the school alone. You have to take that responsibility as an individual and say, I will be a person who, who builds a legacy of grace, and I will take the prophetic connections that God puts in my life, and I'm going to honor those. I'm going to use those for the glory of God. Amen? All right, so understand the battle. Let's go to Joshua chapter 10. The men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal and said, do not forsake your servants. By the way, if you want an interesting study, study Gibeon. It was at Gibeon where God came to Solomon and said, Solomon, what would you like for me to do for you as the new king? And you remember God came to him in the night and, he, and Solomon answered and said, give me wisdom. It was at Gibeon. So sometimes these places that you see in the Bible, they have significance beyond the current passage. And so study them a little deeper said, come up to us quickly, it said. Save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua sent it to Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And what I've learned when I see this is because this, the Gibeons came in by deception. And I want you to see something about the enemy. The enemy hides among the called. See, you are called out by God to be different. You're called out to make a difference. You're called out of darkness and into light. But I want you to know the enemy hides among us. And the enemy is always trying to bring us into bondage. Whether it's the bondage of, you know, well, you know, I don't know, is God true, is the Bible true? That's bondage. That's as much bondage as some other bondage. The bondage that says, you know, well, maybe, maybe no one cares for me, nobody loves me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into drugs, and I'm going to let that be my, my source. And then you get in bondage. Because ultimately, what does the enemy want to do? He wants to derail your destiny. You see, God has a plan, and got a purpose for you, and if you stay in line with those prophetic connections that God puts in your life, you're going to get to your destiny quicker. If you take sidetracks and you get off on detours and you do all that kind of stuff, guess what? Your destiny is not going to be in, in front of you all the time. And you're going to say things like, I don't even know why I'm on planet Earth. What's the purpose of my life anyway? So as people, we love to embrace those causes that are larger than ourselves, don't we? We love to be able to identify and say, wow, you know, I made a difference. And you don't have to be the lead. You don't have to even have the vision. If you can just attach yourself to a vision, say, I want to be a part of that. I want that to be a part of my legacy. I was sitting on a plane a few years ago next to a guy, and he was looking at a pamphlet for a Porsche. And I said, hey, you going to get a new Porsche? And he said, yeah, I'm thinking about it. He said, and we were coming back from Washington, D.C., and he said, what about you? And I said, well, I'm coming back from D.C., and I've just met with some people on the persecution of the, of the, uh, the church worldwide, and, and, and I kind of go on, and he goes, man, I feel really shallow right now. And I said, don't feel shallow. But you know what? What you need to do is one day when you're bouncing your grandson or daughter on your knee, and they think you're cool because you have a Porsche, you can say, that's not what makes me cool. What makes me cool is I invested in the lives of people, and maybe I stopped human trafficking. Maybe I stopped the persecution of, the, of Christians worldwide. I had a part in it. I had a role in it. And I think what we have to do is we have to balance everything in our life. Sometimes we think being a Christian means nothing fun. It doesn't mean that. It means you find a way to balance out your life in such a way that you honor God, you honor mankind, and you live your life to the fullest that you possibly can, but never forget those who are lesser than you, and never think of yourself being better than anyone else. 
That's what it means to walk in God. That's what it means to walk in faith. So we embrace causes like a moral cause. We say, I'm gonna champion this moral cause. Or we're gonna champion a political cause. I wanna get my candidate elected because my candidate stands for some things that I really believe in. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's a cause that's even greater. It's an eternal cause. And yet when you embrace an eternal cause, say, not only do I wanna make our society better by getting a certain person elected, not only do I want to champion this moral cause, but I want to couple that up with something really powerful called eternity. Because if we make the world a better place for everybody, but people are separated from God for all eternity, what have we accomplished? What have we really done? And if we don't feed people, we can't expect them to listen to the gospel. Hungry, hungry hearts and stomachs don't listen as well as full stomachs do to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to show people love. We have to act out what we are as church, as a church and as Christians in our daily life. In Joshua chapter 10, back to the story, the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them. You know, fear stops you from attaching yourself to a cause and moving forward. He says, don't fear them. Here's a promise, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua, therefore, come upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal, so the Lord routed them before Israel. Now, we don't use that word route, but when you get a routing from God, you got something, amen? I mean, you're, you got out of the picture, God got in the picture, changed the scenario altogether. You see, what, what God wanted Joshua to realize was his potential, that he had a potential that he couldn't even see for himself, that there was something inside of Joshua that needed to be released, that needed to be turned over to God so that God could use him. And I always say it like this, we need to write a chapter in our own history about what God's doing in our life for our future. Have you written that chapter yet? Write where you want to go. Write a chapter and say, God, this is the difference I want to make in my life. These are the things I want to do. This is the way I want to see God use me in my life. You say, well, what if he doesn't? Well, what if he does? I only know one quote from Walt Disney. It's my favorite one. I don't need two, just got one. They said what they made fun of having the mouse and they made fun of the, the whole Disneyland thing. And when a Disneyland came along and everybody was a skeptic except old Walt. And he's, you know what he said? Here's my quote. You ready? You can even embrace this as your quote. What if it works? It'll shut down every skeptic. What if it works? You can find everything wrong with it, but what if it works? What if people will actually put on mouse ears? Now, just think about this. Grown people, mouse ears. Yet at home, we try to kill them. In public, we wear ears. It's the craziest thing in the world, but what happened was, driven behind that was a passion to have a fun experience for a family and for children. What if you, so to speak, put on your mouse ears for what you're passionate about, and you go public with the mouse ears? I want you to know I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna stand for that, and you tell people, well, I don't think it'll work, and you just say, what if it works? What if, what if a little girl sleeping in a Denny's doesn't sleep in a little Denny's anymore? What if her mom's rescued? What if a little girl doesn't have to, to worry about what her mom's doing when she's out turning tricks in the middle of the night? What if a little girl is rescued and has a little apartment and goes to school and has clean clothes? You say, well, that's too hard. No, it's not hard. It's not too hard for you. Amen? 
What if it works? You just got to think. You got to call out your destiny. You say, well, I'm, I'm waiting to figure out what God wants me to do. Write it down. That's probably your destiny. It's in your heart. What do you want to do? God says, you were praying, I just don't know God's will, God's will. God's will is to live like Jesus Christ and then go do what you want as long as it's honorable. You want to know God's will for your life? That's it. Well, I'd like to be a doctor. Then go be a doctor. I'd like to be a fireman. Go be a fireman. I'd like to be unemployed. That's not God's will. <laughs> that just gets you hungry. That's all that gets you. That gets you God's will. All right, so call out your destiny. Let me ask this. Are you, more, are you, are you pushed along more by inertia or inspiration. Now we know inertia is the opposite of momentum, right? So inertia is I'm just like, I'm just pushing along, I'm just trying to, just trying to get by. Have you heard that from people? How you doing? Just getting by. Well, that's a sad state of affair. Just getting by. Oh, I want to be your friend. I want, can I learn from you? Would you mentor me? I'd like to just get by. How you doing? Okay, under the circumstances, we'll get out from underneath them. What are you doing under there? Get out. You're a human being. You're made in the image of God. Make a choice. How about this one? How are you spending the best hours of your life? If I look at my life, there's certain times in the day and night where I am the most productive. I think the best. I do the best, right? Suppose you work for somebody. Suppose those hours were 9 to 11. You went to your, your boss and you said, you know, my best hours from 9 to 11. I want you to know that uh, I, I'm going to do my best work all the time, but I want you to know I'm going to excel in those hours. The boss is going to go, you on drugs? It's so unusual to hear somebody who's an employee who says, I want to do the best I possibly can, that you will instantly get noticed. You will instantly find yourself in a better position for your future because you are conscious of the fact that you don't work for them anyway. You work for God. All work is as unto the Lord, the Bible says. You take, you say, I'm work, my paycheck may say XYZ Corporation, but I want you to know that real paycheck is coming from God, and God is the one I'm going to honor. And the reason I'm working hard is because of God. God, now when I need a new job, God, I need a new job. If I'm working for you, I need a promotion. Why you keep begging and wondering about what's going on? Just tell God you need a job. I need a better job. Need to make more money. Need to spend less. Make more. Rule for riches, right? It's not, not hard. Spend less than you make and do it for a long time. We first got married, we got a credit card, and it, it had like a limit of $1,000. I said, that must be a goal to be achieved. Credit limit, goal to be achieved. Let's get 1000 bucks on that card as quick as we can. <laughs> Don't we all do that when we first get them? You can't, you're kidding me. This is like going to college. College is paid vacation. Just be honest. Parents, it's a paid vacation for your children. They're not going to learn anything. They're going to get a job that has nothing to do with what you paid for. Am I wrong? No, okay. Well, listen to this. I'm reading Forbes magazine, came across this article. I thought this was such a good quote. It says, we all arrive at moments in our life where we are torn between retreating to the safety of the known and the possibilities of the unknown. Between comfort and contribution, between security and service, between seeking admiration, looking good and risking status, and doing good, between love and fear. Hey, you are always at that crossroad in your life. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? The bigger the vision, the more magnetic, the more magnetic our life becomes. When you attach yourself to a big vision, people go, I want to be a part of that vision. How do I get a part of that vision? I got nothing going on. Hey, 
it's not because there's nothing going on. It's just because you haven't attached yourself to something going on. And then you just take initiative to make more go on. Let me show you what we do in the month of December. And we call it Miracle in the House. And, and I'm going to show you a series of slides here, kind of walk you through the, the basics of them. So we're talking about investing for an impact. And when you invest or, uh, on a one-time or you become a monthly contributor, there's some things that are going to be the outcome of that in this miracle offering. And I like the statement at the bottom, you, uh, when you give, you're tangibly making a difference in someone's life. All right, let's go to the next slide. Uh, children and students. So one of the things we do is we like to, to scholarship kids from the Boys and Girls Club, who most of whom are classified as, as homeless. And we say, we're going we're gonna to invest in you. We're going to pay that money. And, and the money, by the way, our camps cost, especially our summer camp, is about equal to what most of their parents make in a week. Okay? About 400 bucks. But we're going to take you away for four or five days. We're going to pour our life into you because we believe that we can change society by changing one person at a time. And if one family comes to faith in Christ because of that experience, they, they marry, they raise children in the fear and the admonition of God, how much good have we done for you in lowering the crime rate, increasing the tax base, and changing a life? See, you have to think holistically. You don't think about how much money I save or how much money it costs me. You think about how do I make my world better? See, we want as many people shopping at the stores we like as possible, even though we gripe about complaining. You know why? Because if they're not shopping, they'll go out of business and you have to drive further. That's holistic view of the economy. The reason you shouldn't mow your lawn is because you want that guy out there buying at your store, making your store better, so when you go in there, the prices are more competitive and they're not so expensive. This is macroeconomics. This is how this works in a micro world and a macro world of economics. You can make a difference by paying somebody to mow your yard. Well, I'm just too cheap. Okay, just wait till your store closes down. You go, I gotta drive 10 more miles to get to the Ace Hardware. Home Depot. Oh, I got your attention now. Okay, Bible Club. We're, we've got Bible Clubs going on in schools right now where we're, we're teaching kids about the Word of God in public schools and, and private schools. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Um, missions. So our missions is really set up on two levels. First one, the empowerment program you've heard about today. Uh, the breakdown is, is 100000 for the empowerment and 50000 for missions. I'll hit missions next. Teen Challenge, Grandma's House, Boys and Girls Club, Olive Crest. Next slide is uh, One Day LA. The, we did Peru this year. We took about 60-plus people from here. We went to Peru. We did a crusade all across the nation. This year we're doing it in LA. We're going we're gonna to do all kinds of things like neighborhood outreach, sports uh, outreach, medical and dental. We're going to pour into a community, culminate that with uh, one or two big events, big stadium events, and present the gospel. And we believe that uh, this could be one of, one of the great moves of God in our own backyard where you can go to on a daily basis. You don't have to spend the night. You say, hey, I got two days. I can go to L.A. I'll do that with people. Well, we believe that there's some support that needs to happen there, and uh, so we want to do that. Okay, uh, next uh, slide, please. Monthly scholarships, a lot of people say, you know, I don't have a large check that I can write, but I could, I'd love to do children, 100 a month, students, 100 a month, mission volunteers, 125. And uh, what that'll do is it'll, it'll just empower a church to move forward. You know, when I, when, I think that's the last slide, is that correct? 
Okay, kids zone. So uh, across the street, you may not know, we have an office across the street. We doubled the size of that. We added a kids zone, but it's at this point unequipped. Our goal is to keep growing our children's ministry so that we can uh, have our older kids across the street, all the younger ones over on this side. And uh, there's a, there's, we just need to furnish some of that kind of stuff. Now, when I bring all this stuff up to you, um, a lot of times people go, well, you know, I don't have $100,000 yet, but some of you do. That's the reality. Some of you could write a $100,000 check and not miss it. Some of you wrote a $100 check and you'd miss it. The goal is for us to seek out our heart and all of us give sacrificially. If, if giving $100 isn't, doesn't, doesn't, you don't feel it, doesn't even touch you, you haven't hit the sacrifice yet. And what we want to do is we want to say, we want to get behind what God is doing in a big, big way, and we want to see the hand of God in all that we're doing for the glory of God. So we need to ask God for greater things. I want to show you this quickly in uh, Joshua 10. Joshua uh, spoke to the Lord in the day he delivered the Amorites before the children, and he said, son, stand still. Now imagine this. You go outside and you go, there's not enough daylight today. Son, stand still. Now, I mean, I'm not here to prove this, whether or not NASA has found the missing day or the gain day. I will say there's four different civilizations that record this in the annals of their history. In about 1209 B.C., it's interesting, isn't it? You find in the, the writing of the Incas, the Babylonians, you find in others. But we're not here for that. We're here to talk about what he was so bold so the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon the enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jasser? And the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for a whole day. And there had been no day like that before or after it. And look, this is what I want to get to. Look at what it says. That the Lord, the Lord heeded the voice of man. Have your prayers come to the place to where God goes, you got my attention. Or your prayer is no deeper than God bless this meal that I've already paid for and I got plenty of money for. What happened if you get really bold? Hey, God, your word says this. I'm kind of expecting you to come through because you're God, I'm not. There's a boldness that needs to happen in our life. You see, boldness moves the hand of God. Because faith in anybody's life is always captive. Have you ever noticed when you're around somebody with a lot of faith, you're kind of like, I don't know if they're crazy or I'm like totally in love with where they're going. I'm captivated by your faith. How, where, do you, where does that come from? If you have faith and, it, and what you're believing God feels comfortable, you haven't got to faith yet. You gotta get out on the, on the edge of disaster and go, no, this doesn't feel fun at all. This feels like if God doesn't come through, I'm dead in the water. That's faith. I mean, you want that kind of faith. Well, no. Right? It's kind of like when people learn how to start to worship, you know, with their hands. They start here. Right? And then they kind of kind of get out here and then maybe maybe do this kind of model, you know. There's there's all kinds of they kind of kind of get out, get down quickly. How many of you want to live by some bold faith? Raise your hand. Amen. Okay, now just keep it up. You say, I don't even know what that looks like, Pastor, but I, I want to live in bold faith. And, you know, say, I got to have time to finish what I'm doing, God. Keep your hands up. Keep them up till they hurt a little bit. Keep them up till they hurt a little bit, all right? Some of the most exercise you've had in a week, it is for me, okay? All right, you can put your hand down. Let me read something to you. Leaders who live a life of purpose, and I believe all of you here are leaders in your own vein, 
when they live a life of purpose, have core beliefs and values that influence all of their decisions. They shape the day-to-day -day actions and determine the short and long-term priorities of our life. Talented people, that's you, want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. They, they want to see their ideas and their efforts produce something significant. What if this time next year you said, you know what? I was a part of rescuing a family out of homelessness, getting them in an apartment. They came to faith in Christ. Let me ask you, would you feel good about yourself? Or how about this? Let's flip the scenario. Yeah, I didn't really do anything, but I was sure glad somebody did. I wanna be the first guy, right? How do I make a difference? You don't have to know how, you just have to be willing to say, I, I'm, I'm willing, I'm willing. Get, sign me up. I'll do something. Amen? Amen?